Hello and welcome. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Blame Lou, speaking to you after Toronto Raptors lose. Uh, I mean, look, listen. Let, let's 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 do the emotional stuff first, and then let's go to the the more rational side of the brain. This is a game where you know, if you think about the rational brain, um, the Raptors might be used like maybe 10% of it. Um, and it was 90% irrational brain. Like it, it was so much like panic and chaos and just them doing nothing. Uh, then them doing everything. Well, there was a 40 to nine run by the bulls in the first half that was followed by a 33 to three run by Toronto between the end of the first half and the third quarter. Uh, then the Raptors had like a 13, 14 point lead with three minutes left and they couldn't close it out at all. They somehow get it to overtime, even though Chicago made a million plays to force overtime, uh, and win the game before overtime. But DeMar DeRozan misses three free throws. Then they go to overtime. Uh, then the Raptors put themselves up four with the last like 30 seconds to go, but then the Raptors choke it away again and ultimately we lose we're all unhappy everyone's pointing fingers it's pascal's fault it's scotty's fault it's dennis's fault it's like coach darko's fault it's the bench's fault probably is malachi flynn's fault he did not play well but you know still it's not it's malachi's fault it's precious's fault it's the referee's fault honestly a lot of referee fault on this one but yeah i, I mean look i i maybe it's just because it's your like season or game two of the season maybe it's just because it's such a wacky game but like I just don't particularly feel like that interested in it. I know this is only like, I don't know, three, four minutes after the game is over. I'm sure the players themselves are fuming. I'm sure they're exhausted. I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, we look like such idiots doing this. How do we lose it down the stretch? This, this, and that. I mean, you know, we go back to last year's trauma, all this other stuff, you know. All right, just put that aside. You just got to move on. Like the Raptors played well enough to beat the Bulls. And the Raptors didn't win against the Bulls. It's the same thing they had against the play-in game, and that's why it's frustrating. And then we had all these conversations. Some people were out on the team. Some people were in on the team. Some people were bought in on the team. Whatever. Like, let's just deal with the facts on the ground. I guess I'm not entertaining the emotional brain at all because, honestly, this game to me was too emotionally draining. Like, the, the, the reason the Raptors lost this game wasn't, like, you know, um, the way they played. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the schemes or strategy they played. There was no strategy involved in this game. It was just too much panicking by the whole squad. And and I think that, you know, there's panicking in the first half, there's panic in the second half. And you sometimes you got to step back and think about, like, it's game two of the season against Chicago. Like, there's no reason to panic at all. It's a game of basketball. And you execute things. I'm sure the Chicago did lots of things to, to muck it up or whatever. But, like, it is what it is, you know? You, you got mugged again, and, you know, like, uh, sure, there's some lingering, like, oh, my God. Like, I'm sure the players are emotional, too, about this. But at the end of the day, you got to deal with the facts on the ground, right? And, and the facts on the ground are that the Raptors um, could have walked away with this game and, and built a large enough lead where it didn't even come down to crunch time, but they didn't do enough things well, right? The Raptors literally got off to, what, a 14-2, to two, maybe 14-3 start, the starters were playing amazing. Uh, they were playing great defense. They were using their length. They were shutting down their um, opponents. They were forcing them to take long, contested, top-of-the-floor threes. Literally, the first play of the game, Scotty stuffs Patrick Williams for three. Um, things were good. Thing, things were good, and the starters were playing well. So then what's the first lesson? The first lesson for Darko. Listen, Darko, you've been, you've been, you've been living a charming existence so far. Everyone loves what you're doing. Everyone loves the celebrations. I love the celebrations. You know, you've come on the program twice, um, you know, things are looking good. But let's be honest, it's still a rookie coach, right? 
And there are rookie mistakes that come into this. And I understand the trust to play the 10-man rotation. I remember, I understand the trust to reward these guys, especially with a chance, because we're talking about game two of the season. You got to look at the long picture as well. However, if you are the coach, you got to take number the first lesson for the team right now. Can't put too many bench guys in at once, right? Because that's what got the Raptors out of the rhythm originally. Raptors were playing awesome. You know, a couple turnovers here and there. Um, you know, the referees were calling everything as a charge uh, for, like, I, I, this might have set a lead record for charges. Um, uh, you know, OG had a, a charge here or there, you know. But, like, ultimately, when the bench came in, and maybe it was just because the starters were playing so well, Darko wanted to, like, keep the starters together and then put the bench in. But too many bench guys in at once, right? Um, Precious Achua, Jalen McDaniels coming into the front court. With Malachi as well. Those three guys tonight were just so poor. And you can look at the plus minuses. Minus 25 for Jalen McDaniels in 25 in 18 minutes. Didn't make a single shot 0-4 from 3 and they were all open. But more than that, it's the stuff that doesn't show up on the box score. First play comes into the game. He doesn't box out um, on a rebound. And it leads to uh, Nick Vucevic getting a jumper right after that. Okay. Um, you know, you have Precious Jewel coming in. And... I, I mean, honestly, I believe in Precious' potential. There, you know, there are moments we look at Precious and there are good things. But tonight, nothing went right for him. And it felt like he just didn't understand where his place was on the floor, how to execute things, and started to things like not grabbing the ball as it's going out of bounds, not rotating on defense, being too soft on defense, and then being too aggressive on defense. It's a fouling out in, six, uh, in 23 minutes with six fouls, has six, uh, three turnovers as well. Uh, smokes a whole bunch of open looks, had an open look to, uh, for three at the end there in regulation that could have won them game. Instead, he ends up fouling out against DeMar. Um, but he comes to the game, and he was really not prepared. And honestly, not enough energy, not enough focus against uh, this uh, Bulls team where if you read the scouting report against the Bulls, their bench comes in, and they really start to play aggressive defense. Their starters don't play that great aggressive defense, but when they put in their bench, their bench guys come in, and they mob you. And that's actually, you know what? Forget the scouting report. How about just some memory, right? Um, two weeks ago when the Raptors go to Chicago to play in preseason, and that was preseason whatever, wasn't serious. The second unit in that preseason came in and just mugged the Raptors from start to finish, and that's what actually forced that game to be close, right? Now, of course, it's preseason. You forget about it. Again, things happen, whatever, right? But it, that, how, how does that not linger in your mind? If you're focused and you're sharp on the game, how do you not remember a game that happened literally two weeks ago? Or even just the scouting report that I'm sure the coach is prepared in this case. And then Malachi Flynn, who is getting a great chance here to get back in the rotation, despite the fact that, let's be honest, he hasn't really shown much reason to be given so many chances. But he is given a chance. And if you listen to Bobby Webster, that we, we, we played the clip on the show earlier this week, but, uh, you know, he won a Raptors tonight, and they were asking him about Malachi Flynn, and he's like, look, listen, we need him to be scrappy on defense. I'm going to need him to um, hit some open th- like threes. That's that's basically it. Keep it really simple, but at least come in and just like play the floor game. Four minutes, does absolutely nothing. Um, misses a three. That wasn't a good look. Didn't get the offense settled in. Didn't play with any urgency or whatsoever coming into the game. And instead, the Bulls bench ends up flipping the game to the point where it was a 40-9 to run. 40-9 to run. Too many bench players in at once. So that's lesson number one for Darko Vrakovic. You, this bench unit, you cannot trust them to play like three, four guys in at once. And that's going to be difficult because you want to play a 10-man rotation and your starters are good, which well, that means you want to play your starters a lot of minutes. And that means that when you take substitutions, you can't just sub out one or two guys at once. You probably got to sub out two starters at once. 
you will quickly run into situations where there are four or five bench guys on the floor at once. Honestly, even three, at least as history has said, at least history has said, okay, historically, and this is the same roster we've had a couple years, so you're going to have to really change these guys. But their DNA and their history here is that if you have multiple bench guys on the floor once, you're going to really struggle. So that's lesson number one. That's why the Raptors went on. You know, they conceded a 40 to 9 run. The fact that they were even in position to win this game is nuts. Then the Raptors starters come back in towards the end of the second quarter, and they start to go on a bit of a run, you know? And the Raptors starters have something that is called common sense. At least they had it uh, for the for, for the first uh, 30 or 45 minutes of the game, let's say. Um, the Raptors starters did the same thing that they did in the first half, which was to use length to contest against the Bulls perimeter scores. And uh, then, you know, were able to use their length uh, to force mismatches and play through those mismatches. And that was a pretty consistent strategy because the Raptors do have these big wings and the Bulls do have eventually a guard on the floor um, that you can kind of attack, right? So, you know, that's what the Raptors were doing and they were doing a decent job of that. When they had opportunities to run, they did, although did not run as much today as they did in the first game. But then again, Chicago, you know, is a better defensive lead. I guess they're more disciplined than the the Timberwolves. Um, but also, like, they run more wings. Um, and so, you know, whatever. They just did a better job getting back. But still, the Raptors had lots of uh, advantages running on transition, okay? Third quarter, the Raptors, you know, end up taking the lead. And this time, Darko learns from lesson number one. Okay, some of the bench guys, I'm not going to play them all at once. I'm going to limit some of their minutes. Malachi, for example, you, you did nothing you, when you came in the game. You're not coming back in the game. Grady Dick, coming in for six minutes, had had two wide-open threes, missed them both. I actually didn't mind any of the either looks. Uh, but he didn't make them, doesn't play in the second half. Too close of a game for a rookie to play in. Okay, so then who are the bench guys you actually do trust? Well, Chris Boucher, who was out of the rotation game one, ends up coming in um, in this game. You can trust Chris. Honestly, you can trust Chris, right? Chris comes in, he actually brings you some energy. In fact, he was actually the first Raptor in the first half off the bench to even give you a bucket. Um, so that that's decent, right? But then you're also finding a way to like use the right bench pairing combinations. Because it's not just about bringing bench guys in. It's about bringing bench guys in to complement the starters that are still on the floor after some of the starters sub out. So Gary, for example, complements really well with Scotty and Pascal. When those guys get into the post, especially against the mismatch, um, you know, then they're able to take a couple dribbles, see where the defense is coming from, and then adapt from there. But what you need to do is park a strong side shooter on that side so that when the kickout comes, that's, they have somebody who can actually punish that play with a three. And this is a good example. Of this was in the fourth quarter when the Raptors were, you know, really on a roll and they were up, you know, comfortably double digits, just like they were in a playing game, by the way, in the fourth quarter. Um, but what they did was, um, you know, you had a play where Scotty um, called for a screen from Gary. Scotty had the ball, called for a screen from from Gary, uh, got downhill, raced towards the baseline, drew two defenders towards him, including Gary's, and then he kicked it out to Gary at the top for three, knocked it down. Next play down, the Raptors go to the other side of the floor. Pascal has the ball, I think this time against Damar. Um, and he takes a couple of dribbles. You know, uh, same thing. Gary's on the strong side there, so closest to, to Pascal. Uh, and Pascal takes a couple of dribbles, sees the double will come, but the defender, Tory Craig in this case, doesn't leave Gary because he just saw Gary make a three. That leaves Pascal on single coverage. Pascal reads that, spins with a short 10-foot jumper, makes it over Damar. Okay. Uh, so to, that, that's actually the starters having sense. However, I have to say, um, the other issues that came into this game was just, um, foul trouble and foul trouble and injuries to your most important and most irreplaceable uh, players. Uh, 
Um, Jakob Pertl was the victim of some horrendous officiating tonight. And and listen, um, it's just game two of the season. So one of the lessons to myself, especially, you know, getting to know a couple of referees now um, and at least hearing their perspective on things, like I can't just go at the referees all the time. This, however, was genuinely a game that was poorly hor- uh, officiated, led by John Goble, the crew chief, but Suresh Mehta, who made a number of horrendous calls on the baseline, you had plays where the referee on the far side, who's a you know, was calling a play underneath the basket that uh, a baseline referee who's right there looking at the play does not call, um, and it's not even a good call. You had sort of uh, light fouls being called one way, but then complete lots of contact, no calls going the other way. You had both referees use or both teams coaches using. Um, both their challenges, so four challenges in this game. You had an instance in this game where, at towards the end there, um, you know, DeMar DeRozan has an N1 opportunity to tie the game, and, and I'll get into why later. I mean, honestly, recapping this game is just a nightmare. Uh, but DeMar DeRozan has an N1 opportunity to tie this game, um, misses the free throw, there's a scramble for the rebound, um, DeMar somehow gets his hand to tap the ball, um, and it doesn't go in. Chris Boucher gets the rebound after all this time, gets hacked, falls down. He's on the floor hugging the ball, and he hears a whistle, and he's like, oh, my God, thank goodness. We got a one-point lead. I'm going to go to the foul line. This is a good thing for the Raptors. But instead, I don't think I've seen this before. John Gopal actually, after the play is already over and the rebound is secured and the foul is made, he says, no, actually, I'm going to retroactively call a goaltending. That will then trigger the review conditions so that I can go for a fifth review in this game, go to the monitor, look at it, and oh, lo and behold, the Raptors actually did not goaltend on the play. Uh, so instead, my bad, uh, but the Raptors now have to re-inbound the ball uh, and then go to the foul line and get fouled again. Now, listen, it's not that big of a deal typically to re-inbound the ball and draw a foul uh, whatever, but I mean, at the same time, when we're talking about this game and how hard of a time the Raptors had on inbounding, you know, actually a big deal. So the officiating crew in this one, horrendous. The fact that Yaka Proto fouled out in, in 19 minutes, you look at the, some of the six fouls, man, they were terrible. And they were mo- they were calling all sorts of moving screens early on. Later in the game, you could do whatever you want on a screen. You can mug a guy. Doesn't even happen. Doesn't even matter, right? But in the early in the game, everything was a moving screen and everything was a charge. It, it was kind of absurd the way this game was called. Precious Achua who came in. And listen, Precious played really bad defense. At least Yak played good defense. Precious came in and was clueless defensively, made a couple of bad plays. You tell me he fouls out in six minutes as well. So that means the Raptors have to go to their third string center at this point. So... Foul trouble does take out Yak, who is obviously very, very important in this matchup. Then on top of that, OJ Anobi has a muscle cramp, and I didn't even see the play. Um, to be honest, I wish the broadcast had shown a replay of it because, you know, it's a pretty serious thing if a guy goes out for injury and people want to know what happened, right? I don't know what happened. Apparently, he just had a muscle cramp, stumbled to the bench. He was limping on the court, had kind of briefly sat on the bench, kind of went down to the tunnel, was lying down on the tunnel, and then went into the locker room, and it was ruled out. This was late in the fourth quarter, probably like three, four minutes left. Big deal with that is OJ Anobi is your best option against DeMar DeRozan. And DeMar DeRozan now the stretch, outside of missing some free throws, was awesome. The way he was picking off passes, going the other way, uh, going into the lane con- consistently, the Raptors even contesting, doing a good job contesting the way he would angle and vary his finishes. Ridiculous. Um, DeMar could have had six game winners in this game. I'm not even kidding. Like, he had so many great plays. Uh, so that's one of the things. Now, when you get into a tight game, now the Raptors were up, you know, a decent amount, whatever, right? But, you know, the Bulls started making, you know, this comeback. 
Lesson number two, even though the Raptors were tired, the Raptors got into their offense so slowly down the stretch. And this has been such a point of emphasis from Darko. And it's not a unique point of emphasis. Like, you know, pretty much all coaches across all levels of basketball want you to play with pace. Very few teams will say like, hey, we actually don't want to play with pace, right? So down the stretch, and I know the Raptors are are tired because it's it's been a hard-fought game and they've had to battle back and they, you know, whatever, emotionally swinging and all this other stuff. But like, they slowed it to a crawl. And they weren't getting some of the calls that they really wanted. Like Dennis went to the basket a couple of times, took some hard contact, didn't get the call, was was super frustrated, screaming at the referees, all that kind of stuff, right? But um, the issue was they just ran their offense too slowly. And it didn't even feel like they actually understood what they were looking for. Because really, if you wanted to, first off, they definitely weren't playing no .5 basketball down the stretch. Let's be honest, okay? You're not playing fast enough in terms of bringing the ball up to play point five basketball. And also on top of that, you are not actually doing anything other than what you did last year, which was find the mismatch. Now find the mismatch is actually a fine strategy because that's actually how the Raptors got into the lead a lot of the times, but you have to find the mismatch in the proper way, right? Kobe White's on the floor. You, you try to get Pascal or Scotty switched onto him post and then go from there, right? That's your advantage. If you want to play point five afterwards, fine, but the mismatch is the, is the advantage, not the point five and the passing and the cutting. There was not a lot of body movement. Let's be honest in this game, right? Um, but if that's what you want to do, again, like you just need to like execute your offense so, so much better. So that's less lesson two, right? They already got away from 0.5. That doesn't mean the pole, you throw the whole thing out, but at the same time, especially when you look at film and it'll be difficult because this team is pretty much just going to look at film and then just look at film for tomorrow's game in Toronto for Philadelphia, which will be obviously a nightmare matchup. Uh, it always is. But you're going to have to look at film and you're going to have to realize that you got into your offense too slowly and you did not execute well enough. I think the number three lesson is just like, can you inbound the ball? Because this whole situation, I mean, whatever, the Bulls make a comeback. You know, they have that kind of they have that kind of players like Damar and Zach. I don't like closing games against them. Zach was even quiet today. He didn't really do anything other than, you know, set up the game winning three. But like it was mostly Damar. I don't like I don't like facing that. Right. Those skilled players coming down the stretch. I don't like seeing that. Right. Um. But you still had a really, really nice opportunity, right? So Precious fouls out, um, you know, trying to guard against DeMar, going to the basket for a reverse layup. Um, he was super late on the rotation. Whatever, he fouls out, okay? Um, Raptors are up four with like 30-ish seconds left in the regulation, and they have the ball. And what two timeouts? Actually, a prime opportunity. They use one timeout to advance the play, um, which I'm like, yeah, that's actually a good idea, right? To, again, like super standard timeout. They go in that timeout, and they're drawing up their play, okay? Um, and when they come out, you can already tell, hey, man, they're not executing this play well enough because none of their screens really connect with each other. Dennis runs back to the backcourt a little bit too early um, so that his quickness advantage, it was negated. You know, the Raptors couldn't even get that option off. Then they had to run another little cross-screen action on too close to the inbound. Uh, they don't screen well for each other. They don't really create separation. So they have to call a second timeout. No, no, they actually got the ball inbounds, but they got a tip back out. I think Chris might have got a, you know, like he caught it like on the sideline. Honestly, there's a real chance he could have got stripped there, but it was poked out. And so instead, Darko says, let's be sure. Let's call another timeout. So we've used both our timeouts now in this instance to draw up one inbound play. Okay. They finally got the inbound play right. So that's that's good. But however, you should not need two timeouts just to draw up one inbound play when you also have the option at that point to inbound to the backcourt. Like that should be an inbound correctly 95% of the time, if not better. We're talking about 
bare basics in base uh, in basketball. Okay. Um, but at least this time they do execute the inbound well enough. They get it into the backcourt and Scotty Barnes catches it. There's two guys around him. Somehow they both slip or something. And Scotty has Dennis right beside him. And Scotty is just like, okay, I could either get, you know, uh, I could either stay here for the foul or I can, you know, pass it over to Dennis, who's a better free throw shooter. I don't know. You could give it to Dennis. He wastes a little bit more time, whatever. Right. Somehow in all of that, Scotty, maybe he's caught in two minds, ends up passing the ball one foot and it just slips out of his hands. The two bulls around him are at his feet, pick out the ball. Ultimately, Scotty falls down. It looks like he hit his teeth on the floor too. It looks super painful, but ultimately just a massive error. Like you just have to hold on to the ball. If he holds on to the ball, you're going to get fouled. You're going to go to the foul line to make it um, a potentially a six point game. You give it to um, Dennis Schroeder in that moment. Dennis Schroeder is going to have the ball, maybe dribble a couple seconds out. And then he gets fouled and then put a chance to go, uh, go up six. Instead, it's, a turnover and because the Raptors inbounded to the backcourt and because Scotty inexplicably dropped the ball, um, the bulls, instead of even just getting the ball back, they're getting the ball back in your half and they immediately run in for a score. Um, so that was pretty terrible. Um, unfortunately that set up the that's uh, that sets up the Demar play with the random in like review for the rebound whatever it, it looked horrendous uh, again I, I I just can referees retroactively call a goaltending after the rest of the plays happen just so that they review it like that's I don't know man it felt like he just called it a goaltend just so that he can review it like a referee like that doesn't feel fair to me. You know what I mean? That's like if in, in soccer, if a referee just calls it a penalty just so that it has a, has an opportunity to then go look at VAR. Like, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. It unnecessarily stretches out the players and whatever, right? <sighs> okay. So, after all that, though, they do manage to get their inbound play correctly this time, okay? Now, the inbound plays at this point are all just like off of memory, off of instinct because they've used their, both their timeouts. So, um... Luckily, this time, Pascal gets denied by um, Caruso in terms of Caruso's playing between him and the inbounder. But Pascal is able to separate from Caruso, who was grabbing all night, get to catch the pass, get the foul called, goes to the foul line. And Pascal admits both free throws. Now, my concern with Pascal in the foul, foul line isn't even going back to the history. It's been, for me recently, I've been watching, pa- again, I know I love talking about warm-ups, but this is why it's important, okay? Um... I've been watching Pascal obviously do a lot of free throws, just part of his routine. And there's a little hitch in the in the foul shot. So what I mean by that is when he's at the foul line, he will go up to shoot the shot. And as he's at the apex of the shot, you'll notice um, the ball's going to go from like in the palm of his hand and he's going to like shift it a little bit back towards the fingertips. And it's like an unnatural move. Like there's, I'm telling you, it's it's a bit of a hitch. And then he should release the free throw. Now, it doesn't mean he can't make shots with imperfect form or even with a hitch. However, I'm looking at it, especially in the practice facility, you actually get that that NOAA board, right? Which, again, I've explained it so many times, but it tracks three things. It tracks whether you're left or right of the rim. It tracks whether you're long or short. And then it tracks your arc. And it's fine. It's not left or right. It's not long or short. But the arc is really low, like to the point where it's in the red. And I've seen it happen, like, again, I, I'm in, I'm, I watch this, like, this is what I do. I, I like watching, you know, players warm up and shoot, look at their forms. You could tell that it's flat, but the monitor literally tells you it's very flat. 
This is not important for this one because he makes both here, but he does miss two free throws in overtime. But the only reason the Raptors even get it to overtime is like an absurd uh, moment where Pascal, again, makes two free throws. Now it's a three-point game again, okay? Now the Bulls are out of timeouts. They rush up the floor. Or no, they do a timeout. They, they, they call the timeout. They execute an inbound play. Uh, and they're, they're coming out the Raptors, and they give it to DeMar DeRozan coming off a screen against Nikola Vucevic. Now, first off, um, when they inbounded it to Vuce with his back to the basket, that would have been a really good opportunity to take the foul, force them into taking two free throws, and then you play the inbound free throw game. If you don't feel confident in the inbound free throw game, fine. Then you have to play the I'm willing to live with a contested three game because if you are not going to intentionally foul to deny the three, you have to do your best to be disciplined on guarding the three. And the opposite happens here. They get the ball to Vucevic with his back to the basket, and he's clearly doing dribble handoff to DeMar DeRozan. At any point, they could have hacked Vuce, closed out this opportunity. But instead, they get the ball back to DeMar, and now it's a switch. Everything down the stretch there when it's three-point game is a switch everything, okay? Somehow, Chris Boucher, who is on Vucevic, doesn't take the foul, which I, I think that's more of an instructions thing. But, you know, instead, it, he's a little bit late on the switch against DeMar. But he's still mostly there. And he, when DeMar DeRozan goes up for the shot and he pump fakes, Chris Boucher jumps forward into him. Now, listen... Was it a huge foul? Was it a did he jump for it and just totally take Demar out? No, right. And if anything, like Demar shoots his arms up and like I honestly feel like Chris almost elbowed the ball clean, but still horribly undisciplined play. And I know Chris, we, we me and Chris have literally had conversations about this in real life uh, on podcasts uh, over Twitter in a snarky way that wasn't productive. But the point is the point, right? You cannot jump. At the pump fakes. Like, we are going on so many years of this. And, and whatever. Jumps on the pump fake. And it's DeMar DeRozan of all people. If, if he hits a pull-up three over top of Chris Boucher off a standing jump, uh, you, you just got to say whatever. At least at that point, you know, like, it is what it is, right? Instead, um, yeah. In, instead, um, you know, you know, DeMar is able to... Uh, to 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 get the th- the free throw uh, the the the, f- the three point foul okay so then um goes to the f- foul line makes the first two look super confident I had all the trust in the world from Demar Derozan to tie this game uh, misses the third uh, free throw and so instead the Raptors now have the ball once again in the same scenario up one with the ball and they got to do is get the ball inbounded then get fouled then go the other way make some free throws and again even though it's been chaotic probably close the game out right. This is actually lesson number four to the broadcast. Do not be showing me no replay when there is an actual action in the game happening. But because what actually happened was we saw some replay of, I don't even know what it was, but as soon as we came back from the replay, somehow it was Bulls ball. And it was Bulls ball as they showed the replay of the overtop of the replay that they really missed in the first place. They didn't need to show in the first place. Show me the game action when it's game action, especially when it's like literally a few seconds left. But DeMar DeRozan or, or, or Pascal Siakam is trying to receive the inbound. And Alex Russo is standing on the inside of him. And uh, similar to last time, Pascal kind of like gives him a little shove and then requires, you know, reclines back to get that separation. This time, Caruso flops successfully. Pascal did give him a little nudge, but like Pascal uh, gets called for the offensive foul here. So instead, the ball turns over. Now it's three seconds left and um, the Bulls have no timeouts, but, you know, they're dropping inbound play. Their play is to inbound the ball from the left side of the floor all the way over the top to DeMar DeRozan, who's posting up Pascal Siakam on the right side of the floor. 
and it's a one-point game, okay? The ball does go over the top. Pascal doesn't jump for nothing, you know, and, and he, he he's on DeMar, posting up with the hands up as DeMar DeRozan turns around and tries to get into his movement. DeMar doesn't have an edge or nothing. He's going to have to fade. He's going to have to shoot over the top of length. But he goes for the pump fake just to see if DeMar will, just to see if Pascal will jump. Pascal does not jump. But out of nowhere, Scotty Barnes, who is guarding Zach Levine at the top of the floor, rotates over. And not only does he rotate over, but he jumps directly into DeMar DeRozan. Um, I don't know what to say other than you just lost your mind. Like, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, like, actually, like, there's been too much exhaustion. There's been too much panic. There's been too much, like, bad things going your way. There's been too many emotions. And you lose your mind. You just, like, lose your focus for that moment. But there is no reason at all. I mean, first off, you want to come over and close out. First off, the pass to Zacharina at the top of the floor was wide open, right? And you're lucky that DeMar didn't actually see that. But he didn't need to see that because Scotty, not even with discipline. It's one thing if you rotate over and you're like in control and you rotate over. He rotated over, jumped and jumped and landed all over DeMar. And so DeMar draws the foul, goes to the foul line, makes the first. It's a tie game now. Somehow misses the second. And the Raptors, unfortunately, or uh, luckily, at least, win the tip out, and the game goes to overtime. Then you go to overtime, Scotty, Scotty starts to amend for, for the play, right? You know, has a, has a really nice play where he, he posts up, has an opportunity to throw a cross-court pass to Gary Trent, who looked to be open, but DeMar was actually hiding in the passing lane. Pascal actually made a mistake early in this game where he tried to throw the exact same pass, and DeMar picked it off and went the other way from transition. People don't remember this play. I barely remember this play, but it's in my notes, but... It was like, I don't know, Raptors were up 10 or 15 or something like that. So it didn't really matter at that time. Uh, but Scotty turns down that play. Instead, keeps a couple more dribbles, waits for the kickout to come from the, from the strong side. Uh, and he kicks it out to Dennis, who knocks down a three at the top. Right? Pascal misses those two free throws. Again, that's a problem. That's, another, that's lesson number five. Really got to fix that free throw form. There's a bit of a hitch in there. I'm telling you. Next time I go to practice, I will show you the video of this because it is actually super, super noticeable, both on the eye test and in the Noah shots. The, the arc is not there because of the hitch. Then Scotty knocks down a random three at the top, which tied it right at 99. Then Chris Boucher cuts back door for an, on an offensive rebound, gets both foul, foul shots to drop, makes both. Then Dennis does a really good job drop, penetrating, getting in the lane, keeping his dribble alive, and then sliding it to Chris Boucher last second to go up four with like 30 seconds, 30 out some seconds left. And so once again, the Raptors are in prime position to win the game. But of course, having seen the regulation, you know that it was not a guarantee. And so what happens is that the Bulls go quick, inbound to DeMar, and again, the Raptors had a foul to give. Um, they did not take it. And not only did they um, give up the basket, but it gave it up super quickly. It took one action for the Bulls, as in they gave it to DeMar, got up one screen, and he went downhill, and that's it. One for a layup. It was like a walk in the park. I don't know why Scotty was backing up all the way against DeMar like that. There was no contact, no pressure, nothing. It was almost as if he was giving up the layup just to get the ball back or something. But the issue with that is that creates a two-for-one. Now, all of a sudden, because DeMar DeRozan scored so quick, I think maybe take like six seconds, now the Raptors have the ball with 28 seconds, um, and so the Bulls can just wait. So the Raptors go into their offense. I think they had a timeout, but they didn't use it, um, which, okay, again, Darko, I'm not totally sure why you wouldn't use the timeout there to drop a play, but they don't, they don't get any good action. They ultimately end up giving the ball to Pascal with like five seconds left, maybe to try to create something. I don't know. It was nothing. There's nothing there. And um, instead, um, you know, he gets, uh, he, he, he's like attacking Caruso from the top of four with no advantage. Uh, and honestly, if I were my pressing for DeMar or for, for Pascal, just shoot it over the top of him. 
Like, just shoot over the top of him and just get back on defense. Like, you know, when you drive into the lane like that, especially because Pascal has this habit, and he did a couple times today, where, especially against guards, he doesn't necessarily turn the corner fully against them. And so what he will do is he will elongate his strides and then jump off of one foot and then kind of throw a little banker or whatever, right? Um, the accuracy on those is not as good. Let's be real. Um, he doesn't go up strong enough with those. And also, at the same time, yeah, of course, this is so much easier to say, just shoot it over the top instead and take it back. But when you go like that in the lane, especially against a guy like Caruso, you open the ball to get stripped. And that's exactly what happens. Caruso strips the ball. Then the Bulls go on the fast break. And now the Raptors are protecting a two-point lead. They got a foul to give. Uh, they have one timeout left. And they panic once again. Zach Levine rushes and does the right thing. Rushes all the way down the floor. Um, pulls a crowd with him. I think Dennis was running with him the whole way. Scotty was running uh, you know, behind slightly, but right there in time for the, the, the help. And Chris Boucher is actually also running there right beside Scotty Barnes. The issue is you don't need two guys to help, man. You don't need two guys to help. Or if you do need two guys to help, know where your roles are. Because both guys weren't looking at each other. They weren't coordinated. They weren't even aware of what was happening. Both of them are just thinking, I got to get back and help. I got to get back and help. I got to get back and help. It's a full-on panic for both of these guys. And guess what? Neither of them actually helps the situation. Because Zach Levine knew exactly what he was doing. Drops all the way down. Sees what's going on. He's forced all on the baseline because he's running so fast. And he whips a cross-court pass into the corner to Caruso, who's wide open for three. And Chris Boucher gives all of his effort. And I got to give him credit, all of his effort, to the point where he crash lands in the, in the seats. Um, that's how hard he was going for the closeout. But it's an open corner three, and Caruso knocks it down. That puts him up one. That gives him all the momentum in the world. Raptors finally use that timeout. What do they drop? A nothing play, a nothing burger. They get the ball to Pascal with like three seconds. He has to somehow fade away over Torrey Craig, and it doesn't even get the shot off. Game is over. The Raptors losing overtime. And we are panicked. Now we, having seen that, are emotionally reacting to what we just saw. But is any of that productive? And I think yes and no. It's productive in the sense that this should be a very motivating feeling for all the the parties involved um, to reflect and to try to improve. Because this is what's going to happen over and over again. doesn't matter, you know, what happens. The Raptors are starting from a point that they were at last year. This, this team last year found an incredible way to pull defeat out of the jaws of victory. And we have seen it again against the same opponent. And it's going to feel wild triggering, and the response could just be to throw it all away. The point of this thing is you have 80 more games of this. And even if you do want to throw it away, even if you think that's a sensible thing, that's not what we're doing right now. we got to be adults about it. we got to be mature about it and stay together. I don't, I, and I hope that's the message from Darko. But with that in mind, you have to learn and grow from this. How many mistakes did everybody make down the stretch? You know, and I, I and this is why I don't think finger pointing is productive because all we're doing is putting off what we need to do, which is facing the problem head on. Pascal Siakam, you need to make better and stronger reads down the stretch. And honestly, that free throw form, that little hitch thing, you got to work it out. You're going to be in a lot of these moments, and if we can't trust you as the top scorer to shoot some free throws in crunch time, it's going to be an issue over and over again, okay? And so that's number one, okay? Number two, um, oh, I mean, first, there's something OG did wrong. I just hope he's healthy. He was a plus 28 in 28 minutes. My goodness. Um, so I'm going to exclude him from this. Scotty played an amazing game overall, pushed the pace, had a triple-double, second of his career. But I think similar to the first triple-double of his career, also had a ton of turnovers, seven turnovers here tonight. Um, you know, a couple plays that were charges, a couple bad passes, whatever. But most importantly, he also had the brain fart down the stretch. 
literally nobody no pressure on him and he lose he just the he just passes the ball one feet it was kind of unbelievable it's like in soccer sometimes when the when the goalkeeper tries to like make a pass and he just completely whiffs on it and then they give the they give up the goal going back the other way it's the worst feeling in the world i've been there as a goalkeeper myself but it's the same kind of deal here under no pressure at all he just turns the ball over okay and then in in, in terms of that help rotation on demar Rosen, that should have lost them the game in, in, in overtime in regulation Ultimately, it did lose them the game because they did have to go to overtime and they lost in overtime. You got to figure out what you're doing. Like, I know the eagerness to make the plays there. I know the energy. And honestly, he was the Raptors' best player tonight. But two gigantic errors in short span down the stretch. Who is going to keep that cool head, right? Jakob Pertl, not just, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know. Honestly, like, I got to watch his fouls back. They were horrible. Dennis, a couple of times over penetrating in the lane. What Dennis ultimately did really well in overtime was he kept the dribble alive, um, waited for the defense to collapse on him, and then slid it to Chris Boucher under the basket, who put the, put the ball up, uh, and that put the Raptors up four in overtime, right? That should have been a game-winning play. Honestly, there could have been eight game-winning plays in this game that were not taken, uh, except for Crusoe at the end. But for Dennis, a couple of times, he turned the corner and just tried to stretch his way to the basket, go full speed. Listen, the referee's going to do whatever, right? In this game, referees are on some BS. He got fouled a couple of those times. He was screaming at the referee, whatever. But over the course of the game, what Dennis did really well was keep the flow of the offense, keep the organization of the offense, and get the Raptors into some schemes. When he called his own number there, you know, and went too fast, when went by himself, it didn't work. Dennis Schroeder is not a guy who's going to win games by himself, you know? And I appreciate him coming on the pod. This has nothing to do with that. Let's be honest. It's not about that, right? Nobody on this team wins games by themselves. We don't have a Kawhi Leonard. We don't even have a DeMar DeRozan. We have what we have. You got to win together collectively as a team by being solid and making right decisions collectively. You go down the stretch there. Chris Boucher, honestly, unsung hero. They're literally from zero minutes to actually closing out the game and making huge plays, except for the timeless mistake that he needs to get over. It's like a, you know, it's a repeating thing. Do not jump. Do not jump at jump shooters, especially. DeMar DeRozan pump fake in the three-point line when you're when you're defending a three-point lead and you're perfectly in position to just contest and force him to shoot over the top, you know that's an error. It is what it is. We've also had conversations about this. Let's move on. Um, Jaden McDaniels comes into the game way too listless. I know I understand, I understand he got some length or whatever, but I don't really see why he should be ahead of Chris Boucher. But if that's what Darko sees right now, I'm going to trust it with it. But that means Jaden has to do something, or Jalen has to do something with it. Comes in the game with so little energy, doesn't really actually impose himself, looks nervous out there. And when he shoots the ball, I don't know what it is, but it just has not dropped in for him. And it's not like he's a reliable three-point shooter in his career. That's got to be figured out because he got benched tonight. Precious Achua. Honestly, there's this saying, I don't make a lot of soccer comparisons in this podcast, but there's this saying that they used to say about um, uh, Sergio Busquets, the midfielder. Right. And um, I forget who gave it, but I, some famous manager who was a former great player gave this quote. Uh, but he said, um, you know, if you watch the game, you do not see Busquets. But if you watch Busquets, you see the game. And what he meant by that was it wasn't like this guy who is super slow um, and honestly just like, you know, kind of slack jawed or whatever. Uh, very unassuming guy. Um, he doesn't burst. He doesn't score goals. He doesn't even hit beautiful passes all the time although he's usually pretty good at those um he doesn't stand out is what you're saying but when you watch him and you only watch his decision making from his perspective he's making the right play all the time he's making the right pass he's making the right read he's making he's setting the right tempo and it was a key part of um a barcelona team that won so many literally every championship there is and then also helped spain win a world cup and a euro and all that kind of stuff right 
um, Precious is the opposite of that. When you watch the game, you see Precious Achua. When you watch Precious Achua, you do not see the game. The reads that he makes on both ends of the floor he needs to improve to the degree which he does not make the next jump without that. And whichever coach helps him read that, whichever teammate helps him with that, whether he himself helps with that, I just don't know. There's there's no player where when like and, and again, Precious's ceiling is so high. I believe in his ceiling. He's a starter for me in this league long term. He's an incredible athlete. He can play multiple positions. I don't see why he couldn't be better than OG Anobi. I don't see why he couldn't even approach being as good as Pascal Siakam if he puts it all together. But you can't put it all together without sense. And in terms of when you watch back some of the games, when he really struggles, it's when he loses his sense. Whether that's the moving screens, whether that's the late rotations, whether that's the bad rebounds, whether that's the not boxing out. It's unbelievable. The lows, the swings cannot be this much. The better he gets is just limiting, raising the floor of the game. Again, I, I, I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm saying it's like it's like the exact opposite of watching Sergio Busquets, though. Seriously. Okay. Uh, Gary, when he first came into the game, you know, I don't know. Like, wasn't really impactful. Wasn't really bringing that much energy. I want him to organize the team for that, that six-man role. The difficulty with that is he's not an on-ball player. It's hard to organize a team without being on the ball. Right, most six men. When you think about it, it's like you know Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, Mono Ginobili, James Harden when he won it. You know these guys organized the team. Even when Andre Dollar came off the bench, he organized the team. Although the Warriors are a different equation. Gary doesn't have the ball enough, so it's hard to organize the team when you're coming off of curls or whatever. But still, there's got to be somebody who does that. And if that's not Malachi, and oh my God, it was not Malachi today. Somebody has to do it. And so that's where you know Darko at least made the adjustment and made Scotty the backup point guard. Issue with Scotty as the backup point guard, as I said before, was I like when Scotty plays with a point guard because that means that someone can set him up to score and he can focus on the scoring and, and generate the advantage with the ball in his hands. Otherwise, Scotty's using so much of energy, bring the ball up, then finding the right pass to somebody who has to cut to get him, get, get open. Then Scotty has to work off the ball to get open again, then catch the ball back up. Then he's got the ball. Then he's got to try to make a move to score. If he gets a double team, make the right read to pass, right? you're putting so many hurdles ahead of him without another lead guard to help him. And it doesn't have to be a great lead guard. I mean, like, again, just, there just has to be someone better than Malachi in this kind of situation. And then Grady's a rookie, whatever. And then most of all, Darko has to learn from him. He also a rookie. There were a lot of plays in this game that just weren't really going his way. So um, the timeouts, the plays coming out of the timeouts, the execution, you know, whether that was a communicate uh, correctly, whatever, but... Yeah, just uh, even the decision not to foul up four, up three. I mean, all of that comes into play. But ultimately, this is such a crazy emotional game. And I'm sure they're feeling horrible as they're hopping on this flight right now. And they got to play Nick Nurse, of all people, and Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, of all people, uh, tomorrow in Scotiabank Arena. So they got to recover from this. OJ Anobi, if he's able to physically recover from this, I mean, he's going to be so important to this team. He is not somebody you can afford to, uh, to to lose for any amount of time. He is just too damn good and too damn important. Um, yeah, so I don't know. But it, it's um, it's unfortunate. I understand it's unfortunate. You just got to separate the emotion and try to learn from it. That's all you can really do. And also the officials in this game. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I, uh, to, to, to do one last soccer analogy, uh, I, you know, if, if, I, if I speak, I'm in big trouble. And, and I don't want to be in big trouble. So thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Again, we're still looking for feedback, so let us know. Hit us up on the DMs. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think about all the segments that we brought in, all the guests and all that other stuff. Like, Just let us know the tone, the vibe, everything. 
We all have your feedback. Obviously, we made some big changes, so we want to hear from you. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow to uh, recap Nick Nurse's return. <laughs>